welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 12.11 First Avenue North on the third floor. I have the hardest time with these things. It may be little ears or something, but they just never... It, so if it starts to veer and you can't hear me, I'll just yell. Um, <clears throat> so really, it is, it is a pleasure to be here this morning. This summer, since I'm not preaching at one consistent place every week, um, I'm the guy or one of the guys that a lot of people call when they want a break. So, you, Justin, I'm glad you took a break because it also gives me a chance uh, to get some reps in, uh, much like many of you do at CrossFit, us preachers have to do uh, in, in the pulpit. So, uh, yeah, to introduce myself and my crew, um, again, my name is Jeremy, and um, I'm from Atlanta originally. We moved to Lakeland seven years ago to start uh, a youth ministry at a church plant, Christ Community Prez, uh, in South Lakeland. And over the course of a number of years, uh, it just the desire for youth ministry did not wane. I still love what I do with youth ministry, but um, my desire to do a broader range of ministries became, uh, became more and more drawing. And then since we were a part of not only a church plant, but a church planting network uh, in Polk County that is really uh, desiring to plant 20 churches in Polk County in the next 20 years. And so we're just one of those, and we really see ourselves um, as one very necessary one, but not as the only thing going over there. We really do desire to partner uh, with other churches, both near and far. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really thankful for you, for what you have done in, uh, in stepping out and doing something that is so far outside of the realm of comfort. You, you could have picked any other church that had swankier stuff. I don't know if you, they had a swankier backdrop. Uh, but they, you know, you could have picked anywhere and, and you chose here. And that says something about who you see Jesus to be and the mission that you see yourself uh, to be on. So I'm, I'm thankful to be a, a small part of what God's doing uh, and even to be a small part of, of what City Church is doing here this morning. So, yeah, we hope to, by the, the latest January, I'm hoping a little earlier, uh, but by the latest January, much like you guys did, we hope to be launched out. So the... The other difference between us and you is you guys are way cooler than us uh, because you did the parachute thing where Justin literally put on his backpack with the chute and jumped out and landed right in the middle of downtown St. Pete and said, let's have church. Uh, what we are doing is a daughter church model where we're being sent out. Uh, so we get the cush job of having about 30 adults and 15 kids to come along with us. Uh, so, again, another way that City Church is way cooler than Good Shepherd. Um, so that's, that's who we are, that's what we hope to be, and that's why I'm standing here in front of you. Now, again, the other reason I'm standing in front of you is uh, because we are, much like Justin just said, we're connected. Uh, we're connected not only being in the, same, uh, in the same bounds, in the same denomination, but we're also connected in the sense of having this shared mission. And the reason we have this shared mission is because more than anything else, the church is as much as it is these things, it's not only these things. It's not just a social activism club. Uh, it's not just a self-help group. Uh, it's not just a social hour. But truly the, the church was birthed uh, by being a people with a message. You know, we're many times we're called a people of the book. And essentially you can summarize this entire book in one name, and his name's Jesus. Uh, and so what we're going to jump into this morning is hopefully going to continue to help us to press on, um, not because I'm saying these things, but because this is a message uh, that is from the living God to your ears. 
uh, written down in Scripture, preserved through the ages. So we're going to jump into the middle of Acts 13. And what this is, is the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. So Paul is an apostle. He's converted uh, by the risen Christ who appears to him and scares the bejeebies out of him. And, uh, and he, on, um, on that day, was converted and then became this totally different guy. Same zealous, fervent guy that he was, but now just pointed towards Jesus instead of pointed towards the religion that he thought was true. Um, and so we're going to jump into Acts 13 today, and we're going to be jumping around the passage a little bit just because it's long. So I want to simplify it a little bit. Um, but please read along with me as, as we read Acts 13 and Paul first going out to proclaim this message of the gospel uh, to a lost world, much like ours is today. So Acts 13, starting in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. Uh, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up, and motioning with his hand, he said, now jump down to 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent this message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning Him. That's Jesus. And though they found in Him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have Him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of Him, they took Him down from a tree and laid Him in a tomb. But God raised Him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. Now jump over to 38. <laughs> Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, this Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, this is the most important part, by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from in the law of Moses. Now jump down to 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Uh, let's pray. This is God's word. So Father, I pray that you would both bless now the reading and the preaching of your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you open hard hearts, uh, which all of us walk in in some way or form with a hardened heart towards you this morning. We all wake up every morning with the need to be softened again. So Spirit, would you? I myself, I need your softening even now so that I could say something that would be both coherent and, and meaningful in a way that makes sense to your people. Uh, so I pray for those of us who believe and those of us who are just investigating uh, would you give us both a sense of community, uh, both a sense of security here, and both a sense of, of um, interest and intrigue about your word. Uh, so would we sit under it this morning, we pray in Christ. Amen. <clears throat> okay, I'm a little of a clamp, sorry. 
that iced coffee is getting stuck right about there. Must be the nitro. Um, so to tell you a little bit more about me, uh, I did not grow up in a Christian household. And, uh, but I would always consider, always did consider myself and always was, at least relatively, a pretty good guy, a pretty nice guy. Uh, you know, I was, I was the kind of guy that other parents would point to and say, can't, why can't you be more like Jeremy? He's nice. He's kind to his parents. He gets good grades. You know, and so that was, that was my identity. I was the nice guy who was kind to his parents and got good grades. Uh, and so maybe some of you can identify. Maybe some of you are very much on the other end of that spectrum. Uh, and in some sense, you're further towards the gospel than me. Uh, because I had a lot of self-righteousness in my way. So if you were to ask me, what, if I boiled down, what is, what is the truth of Christianity? What is Christianity really? If you had to boil it down into one sentence. Somewhere, you know, somewhere in high school, if you had asked me that, I would have said, well, you know, it's, it's about God and God's holy. So I'd say... Good people, or no, I'm sorry, nice people go to heaven. Mean people go to hell. So be nice. There's the gospel. So if I were to share the gospel with someone, that that would be something along the lines of what I would have said. Uh, Now, if you know the gospel, you know how far off I was from the reality. But what I found, the more that I investigated, and I'll tell you towards the end of the sermon where that wound up, um, but every other world religion, every other philosophy, every other way of living in the world can be boiled down to that. Be good, get good. Be bad, get bad. And so naturally, there's even something internally that's just kind of like, yeah, that, yeah, that's what, that's what life is. That's what kind of, you know, that's how you coach your kids up. You reap what you sow. And there is some biblical wisdom there, but that's not the gospel. And so really, simply, this morning's message is just about what is the gospel? And if the truth of the gospel really is as simple as it is, then shouldn't that motivate us outward, both internally and then working internally outward to the rest of St. Pete, to the rest of Tampa, to the rest of Hillsborough? Is that the county we're in? Okay, sorry, sorry. Pinellas, Pinellas, okay. I'm not from here, I'm from Atlanta, leave me alone. Uh, and Polk County, you know, we don't really get out of our county, so they have to keep us. There's a fence all the way around it. Um, so then here's, here's the message this morning, uh, just boiled down into three points. If you distill what Paul is trying to say to these Jewish and God-fearing Gentile uh, people, it's, it's three things. They're, we're going to talk first about what this true message is. And secondly, we're going to talk about then why is it so easy to slip into this false message? Because again, uh, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, just secular humanism, all of them can be boiled down to that basic truth that you sort of believe and wake up believing every morning. Be good, get good. Be bad, get bad. Why is the gospel any different? And then thirdly, we're going to watch at what Paul does as that propels him outward and how we similar can be propelled outward. So, um, to set us in a context here, I know we just sort of parachuted, much like you did into St. Pete, we sort of parachuted into Acts 13. So to give you a little bit of, of background as to what's happening here, um, in Acts 1.8, Jesus says that you're going to proclaim the gospel 
first to Jerusalem, that's the area where they were locally. Then to Judea, that's the next region out. Then to Samaria, that's the next region out. Then to the ends of the world. So Acts 13 is that pivotal point where Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria had all been reached. At least the message had been established in some really key places in the cities so that it could go out. And so that Acts 1-8 thing had already been fulfilled, so then the next step is now to the ends of the earth. And so what that means is that they just start going out. Paul takes these journeys on boats and hops from island to island and place to place and then preaches the gospel and plants churches, much like you're doing, much like we're doing, in those areas. Uh, And so one of the first places that he lands is in South Galatia. So if you're familiar with the Bible, uh, the book of Galatians is written to this group of people This is their initial evangelization and establishment of the church there. And then he has to write them a letter because they already forgot months after he left. That's why we show up every Sunday. That's why we read our Bible every morning is because we're a forgetful people. Uh, And so this is those same people that Paul later writes to. So Paul typically would, he'd find a place of commonality. And so he picked, often if there was one, a synagogue. Because they already had a basic understanding of the Torah, of the Old Testament. And so he walks into the synagogue with his posse of missionaries. And he sits down and he's dressed in, in robes uh, that you would be able to point him out and say, Oh yeah, that's a rabbi. And so when you see the, the oddity of the rabbis after they stand up, much like our church service, they stand up and they read something from the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then they would read something from one of the prophets. And then they would sit down. And then someone else would stand up and explain, much like our sermons today, what that text that they just read was about. So very similar. Uh, And so it would be as if there was a traveling preacher in town who who was just asked to, hey, you know, Pastor so-and-so, why don't you come up and just share a message uh, about, about what you hear from the Lord, what you're hearing from the Lord, and why you're here. And he says, okay. But little do they know what they're about to get. Little did they know, they just asked Paul the Apostle to stand up and blow up every category they had about what they thought they knew about Judaism. And so Paul stands up. uh, And he says this in verse 38. He says, Let it be known to you therefore, brothers, that through this man, talking about Jesus, uh, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes... Is freed from everything which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Okay, so wait a minute. Do you hear what just happened? It'd be like going to a biology class and getting a math lecture. Because everything you expected to hear as that, as that traveling rabbi got up was to tell you all the things you should be doing that God says to do. And he says, no, actually, everything that you thought you should be doing can't get you to God. Only this man across the Mediterranean, who I just met, only he can get you to God. And so all their categories and all their minds just went... And so then he has to then inform them about this real Jesus, who all the scriptures were pointing to, they just had made it, like every one of us make it when we wake up every morning, they had made it a thing about their works, what they could do to please God. But that's not where it starts. Now, um, you may also be thinking, okay, so then if what Paul's saying here is that Jesus is the only way 
for salvation. Jesus is the only way that we can be right with God. Then one of those questions that may come up is, well, Jesus only lived 2,000 years ago. So what about everybody before that? That's kind of unfair. And then what about all this stuff in the Old Testament that was telling you all these things to do? What do you do with that? So let's try to reconcile a couple of those things before we move on. Um, Paul, again, when he sends them this next letter in Galatians, asks them this riddle. Um, It's not really much of a riddle. It's more of a trivia question. But he's getting at a point. And he says, here's the question, Galatians, who, again, he's talking to now and later. Here's the question, Galatians. Which came first? Abraham? Father Abraham, that guy? Or the law? Which came first? So, to to give you uh, a little heads up, Genesis 15, Abraham. Exodus 20, the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So which one of those came first? Abraham did. Okay, now here's Paul's point. How was Abraham right with God? What did he do? What did he do? What does Genesis 15 said he did? He believed God. He trusted God. And only because of his trust, he was made right with him. Okay? So then, Paul's point is, did the law that came 430 years after Abraham did, did the law make a new way? Has God been making new ways over the course of history to be made right with him? No. There's always only been one way. We're either standing, all of the Old Testament is standing on this side of the cross. And it's pointing to it in types and shadows. And as fuzzy as it is, getting more and more clear the closer that you get to it, that was what their trust and their salvation was based on. It was were they trusting in the God who could save them and not in themselves to be saving themselves. And now we on the other side of the cross are just looking back at it and continuing to remind ourselves that's our hope. That's our resurrection. That's our death. That's what we deserve. And this is what we get new life instead because of his work. So all of Christian history, all of the history of creation is all pointing to that. And that's the point of what Paul's saying here. Um, Okay, so then why the law? That's the other question, right? So what do you do with the law that God does tell you to do a lot of stuff? So what do you do with that? Um, Martin Luther, who has this wonderful... He lived about 500 years ago. He has a wonderful commentary on the book of Galatians. And in his preface to the book, he uses this analogy. Get this. Uh, He says... One of the purposes of the law, it has others. It is a guide into what the good life is. But for our sake today, the purpose of the law is like a big axe. So think of the law like a big medieval axe. And the purpose of it is to slay the, I want to get it right, oh, slay the dreaded beast of self-righteousness. So part of the purpose of the law in Galatians 3 I'm, I'm stuck on something. Oh, sorry. I'm a pacer. Sorry. Uh, part of the purpose of the law, then, is to show you that you're a sinner. It's to show you that you can't match up to what God says. It is certainly a way to show you how to live into the, the good life that you were created to live, but it is also just as much to point out every way that you are wrong. Now, why would you need to know every way that you are wrong? 
is because then the clarity with which you can see every way that Jesus was right becomes more and more in focus. And every reason that you need Him to be right for you. And I need to have bigger ears. There we go. Okay, so then what, what is this false message? What is this false message that is so prevalent? Not only, you know, so the Jews were so confounded by Paul getting up and saying this, and did, they blew all their categories. And in the same way, dropping into St. Pete and saying this message, hey, it's not all about what you do. It's not all about how good of a person you can be. Every fad diet, every get-rich-quick scheme, again, can I move this? I'm going to move it. I'm going to keep going. Sorry. Every fad diet, every get-rich-quick scheme, uh, every self-help book is all based on that principle, right? It's all based on if you order your life according to these principles, your life will go well. And if you don't, it won't. Lord have mercy on my ears. Okay. Um, So then, you don't need a Savior if that's the truth. If you can be good enough on your own, then you don't need a Savior. But everything that the law just told you is, you can't match up to what God requires of you, and so you do. But because of the fall of Adam, because of the very first sin that was ever committed, we have lost something. And every person who's been born since Adam, all of us included, have something internally that we long for. And that thing that we long for is righteousness. And that just means rightness. I long to be right. I long to be good. I long to be successful. I long to be safe. I long to be comfortable. And those are not bad things. You've been made for those things. But what we tend to do is we tend to substitute those things, the safety, the security, the wholeness that something like money or power or control gives us, we substitute those things for the one who actually provides all money and is all power and gives all control, God. Uh, and so there's, there's two ways, if you had to summarize, two concrete ways that we tend to substitute our own righteousness for God's. Uh, there's, two, there's two games we can play. The first is to minimize God's law. Uh, and we do that so that it just doesn't sting quite as much. Or we can also maximize our goodness. And a lot of times we're doing both. So that just kind of insulates ourselves from reality. And we make ourselves better to be uh, than we actually are. And so uh, to minimize God's law, you know, by way of example, there's a lot of ways we could do this. Uh, but one way that we do this is we can, we can play the at least I'm not game. And so we can say, well, at least I'm not addicted to drugs. Though I may have a few too many drinks at night. Or we can say, well, at least I'm not cheating on my wife. Though there's probably a couple misplaced clicks on the internet most evenings. Or we may say that, uh, well, at least I'm not as bad as those people that I see on the 11 o'clock news. But if I'm honest, I've thought of doing a lot of the things that they're in trouble for. So it's been said that there is only, we are only the right situation and the right set of circumstances away from being in any of those same positions ourselves. 
The other thing we can do is, again, maximize our goodness, insulate ourselves from the truth and the depravity of who we actually are. And so this game we can play is you can take anything and put righteousness uh, in front of it and make it a false savior. Ready? Here we go. Uh, Money, righteousness. And so uh, that insulates you because you feel like I I can be the answer to any problem. Money is the answer, at least temporarily, to a lot of problems. And so that's a great false savior. Uh, it could be nice guy righteousness. I'm just a nice guy, and so I'm pretty sure that God's pleased to have me. I mean, what else could he want? I'm just so nice. Maybe that's you. That's definitely me. Uh, it may be victim righteousness, that everything that is wrong with me in my life is not actually my fault. It's a product of my upbringing, and my parents put me in bad schools, and I didn't have the right group of friends growing up, and now my uh, husband's mean to me, and my kids are just you know, way worse sinners than I am. And you can go on and on through the list, but all of those things you're saying, that's the problem, not me. They are. It could be diet righteousness. If I just eat the right number of things, if I do the whole 30 once a year for every year from now until I'm 150, I'll be okay. I'm going to live forever. Right? And so we can sub anything for, uh, as a false savior to the only true savior there actually is. And that's part of what Paul is trying to get across here to these nice, good Jews. That's what Judaism had become. It had become a works-based righteousness. It had become, we do these things, we make these sacrifices, we go to the temple this number of times, we worship uh, at this hour, and do this ritual at the right time, and God is pleased. That was not the intention of it, but that's what it became. Um, So then what would you say? What would you say is your false savior? There's probably many, but what would you say is one? Uh, A way to help you discern that a little bit is to ask these two questions. What, when you lose it, do you feel extremely fearful and anxious? For example, steady finances, when they're gone, how does that make you feel? Children's approval or children's success, when that goes away, when they fail, when they say, I don't like you very much, or maybe in harsher words than that. Um, When you lose face or lose reputation among your friends, or a business deal goes sour, how does that tend, how do you tend to interact with that internally? Uh, The other question is, what when you have it, do you tend to feel superior to everybody else? And so you can almost say that entire list of things. When I have nice kids, when I have a lot of money, when I have nice things, uh, when I am preaching a really good sermon, or not. So that this thing uh, just took some of my sermon righteousness down. Uh, thank you. So... You know, we can sub anything, and we're so good at it. We're so good at substituting other things uh, for the only thing that Jesus is. Uh, and so the, the bottom line, baseline, foundational point that Paul's getting across here is this, is that there's some really bad news that I have for you. Uh, and that badness is, that bad news is that you're on the wrong side of the tracks with God. Naturally, in and of yourself, you are on the wrong side of the tracks. And it's as if there is a train that is constantly running on those tracks that you cannot get across. There's no physical way, there's no ladder high enough 
that you can get across, that train is always chugging. The bad news is that even in your trust of God, because here's the other question, Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed that God said he would do what he said he was going to do, and that's what made him right with God. But then here's the question, what about when we don't believe? What about when we don't have, uh, we don't wake up every morning saying, God, I totally trust you and everything that you're going to do today? When we don't live victoriously faithful in every moment of the day, is that what it depends on? There is even such theology out there that says you did not have enough faith, and that's why you're sick. Is that true? No. This is what's true. Because the bad news, again, is that if rightness with God comes from trusting in Him, and that's how we were designed from creation to be, then that means wrongness with God. Other sides of the trackness from God comes from trusting ourselves instead. We have every reason that we should be wrong with Him. But then this is where the good news and everything, every reason, uh, every acts slang self-righteousness starts to come into focus and why this cross is so necessary. Because again, was Abraham accepted by his belief alone? Let me ask it this way. Was Abraham fully faithful every moment after he first said, God, I believe you. What happens in the next chapter of Genesis? He has an illegitimate child because he didn't trust God to do the thing. He just said, God, I trust you. So then how can that be? Is it the amount of faith that Abraham had? Is it the amount of faith that we have that makes us right with God? No, because we've just made it another work. It's the object of that faith. His name's Jesus. And so what Jesus has done is he has, in every way, verse 28 says, though they found in him no guilt, no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. They found no guilt in him because he was perfect. They found no guilt in him because he only said things like, I just do what my father tells me to do and I love it. My food is to do the father's will. That's the kind of life Jesus lived. And as he lived it, it did not make him into this sort of victorious creature who had money, power, and success and everything he needed in this life. It actually drove him down further and further and further to where he sacrificed everything, even to the point of his own life. He was fully God, so that he could fully trust in his Father. But he was also fully man, so he could live a perfect life, because we can't. So now the cross becomes much more focused and much more necessary, because God the Son was executed and cut off from his Father, though he trusted perfectly in every moment of his life. So that for every moment that we do not trust in him, we can still be called a child. The train is gone. We can walk across the tracks because of the cross, not because of our works. Um, and so, verse 44 is a, hopefully, what this church, what first, our souls, as we cling to this truth. Secondly, as this church, as they together proclaim this truth to each other and to the watching uh, Pinellas, right, county, uh, and certainly what the church worldwide is doing on its mission 
uh, until he returns, is verse 44 says, the next Sabbath almost the whole city was gathered. They were like, we can't believe what we're hearing. This is so different than anything we've ever heard. They'd spent their whole life trying to be good enough. Paul calls that slavery. And what they were hearing for the first time is the sweet sound of grace. And so personally, to end my story that I brought up earlier, I had spent so much of my life trying to just be that good person that I thought everyone else around me required of me. And then because of that, as long as I was good here, then I was probably good here. I had that backwards. But that eventually ran out. And maybe you've been in a similar situation where every reason and everything that you longed to make you right between you and someone else and you and God eventually just kind of dissolved. And so sometime in college, uh, all of my, I had all this guilt and I had kind of this season of depression and weight. I felt like there was an anvil on my back and I just had this guilt that I didn't know what to do with. And I didn't have any reason to feel guilty about it because I had no standard other than me. But eventually, I, a friend of mine invited me to a, uh, to a college ministry meeting on a Wednesday night. And I just heard words for the first time. I knew about God in terms of He's holy and He's righteous and He's in control and He's all of these wonderful things, but I had never heard about the person of Christ. And that He has made every way that you were not, uh, not allowed to come to God. He has made every one of those reasons yes and amen. And so there was something about sitting. I remember where I was. I remember where I was sitting. And I just heard words like grace. And I heard words like forgiveness. And I, I could feel my heart melt. I could feel this sense of warmth and rightness come over me that I, I had been trying all my life to make right. And it was just in those words of hearing what Christ had done for me that my heart finally broke. Has your heart broken? Do you see your need for Jesus? I'll be honest. Most days I don't feel it like I did that day. But is there a continual sense that I need Him? It's not the amount of that faith. It's the object of that faith. Jesus. And He is the one who has made that train pass by and allowed you to walk straight across into the arms of your Father. You can now call Father. And not just a just judge. But your dad. Uh, and so this is the kind of thing that everybody needs to hear. Muslim friends, listen, you can have assurance of your faith. Mormon friends, listen, it's not the number of converts that you have that assures you eternal life. Indifferent worldly friends, listen, positive vibes aren't going to get you to heaven. Self, listen, you're protected. You're perfect to God already. Stop trusting in every other reason, every other righteousness to make you right. The more that that sits on us, the more that we can wake up every morning with that sense of, I'm right. I could have a ton of money. I could have not a ton of money. I could have a perfect figure. I could have a terrible figure. I could have perfect health, and I could be about to die. But wherever I am, I'm right. Because I'm right with Him. And this was the overwhelming force that Paul planted churches with. This is the overwhelming force that then, as it settles in our hearts, we go, I can't believe other people don't know this. 80% of people in Lakeland and Polk County don't know this, and I would bet that number is even greater in St. Pete. That's our mission. This is such good news. It has set on those of us who have said yes to Jesus. And because of that, 
there is now this new sense of I'm free and so I can give. So that's the message, and that's the mission that that thing calls us on. Uh, and so I invite all of us, as we uh, are about to take the table together, we would be, we'd be able, again, to settle our hearts and rest in everything else, whatever you're coming in with this morning, that we can be settled in being right because Jesus was wrong for us. So let's pray.